You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Finding Hope, How to Experience Christ as Never Before. In our Advent series, we looked at key texts where God revealed Himself to humanity. In this Epiphany series, we discover how Christians today continue to see and know Christ, the source of all joy, peace, and flourishing. We'll learn how to see Him in His Word, in each other, and in culture. Now hear the word of the Lord. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Good morning, soldier, and peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be with you. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors. Welcome to everyone here. Welcome to those at home. A Merry Christmas to you. We are officially in the Christmas season, so if you've been holding on to those Merry Christmases for the sake of liturgical calendar purity, I release you. Merry Christmas away. Merry Christmas. Um, So over the centuries, Christians have marked certain aspects of their time by who God is and what He's done. These help us to number our days, to mark the years, and enter into a lifelong process of becoming like Jesus. That's what we're doing in the church. That's the process of our life. It's a lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus, which affects the way we view time. Uh, the, the Christian calendar has different seasons that focus on, the, on different aspects of the Christian life. So we don't just become kind of navel-gazing, gloomy, introspective Christians, and we don't just become celebratory, happy-clappy Christians. We have different seasons with different focuses to help us experience the full range of what it means to be a human being following Jesus. So from Christmas Day, which was Friday, until Epiphany, we are in the Christmas season. The season of Advent is meant to be one of those dark, reflective times. It's a time to help us express our longings, uh, to feel the darkness of the world around us, to better prepare for the coming of Christ. And then in in the Christmas season, which again culminates on the Feast of Epiphany, um, it's the church's season of light and joy. Epiphany means appearance or manifestation, and the Christmas season is meant to help us focus on the light and the joy and the hope that we receive at Christ's own appearing. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at ways we can focus on that light, on that hope, and on that joy by learning how we can find the presence of Christ all around us. That's If you're looking for the secret of the Christian life, it is Jesus. 
and experiencing Jesus, being with Jesus, following Jesus. So how do we find the face of Jesus in the light, the hope, the joy that comes with it? Uh, A good tip for you, if you're looking for Jesus or want to find more of Jesus, usually the first place you should look to find Jesus is in his word, which in the the church world, we call that the scriptures, the Bible, the Old and New Testament. Um, But I'll be honest, and I don't don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. I know I'm a professional Christian here. Maybe I shouldn't say what I'm about to say, but the Bible can be a tricky thing, you guys. It can be a tricky thing. It's written in multiple different languages across a large span of time, and it was written with a different audience in mind than us in the sense of different cultures with specific phrases and specific geographic references, and, and there's become a bit of a bridge between uh, who it was written to originally and us, language, culture, time, all of these things. And in the last hundred years or so, there's become a lot of debate about the purpose of the Bible. And it's true of the Bible, it's true of everything. If you don't know what something is for, you're probably not going to receive it well or use it well. Um, if you don't know what a screwdriver is for, it may not be very helpful for you in building a deck. You know, if you try to hammer a nail with a screwdriver, that will be a slow, you might be able to get somewhere, but that'll be an awfully frustrating process. If you don't know what something is for, there's a high probability you won't receive it well or use it well. So in the last hundred years or so, some have come to see the Bible as a weapon in culture wars, thinking that the goal of Christianity is to have this kind of perfectly Christian society here on earth, apart from the return of Christ. So those people use the Bible to try to discredit secular history, discredit secular science. Uh, some see Christianity as a moral, gu- or the Bible as a, a moral guidebook. And so we use the Bible to then correct people's moral behaviors. We look through it and say, what should you do and what shouldn't you do? And then we look for people who don't do the things that we thought it says it does, and we go and correct them. Some see the Bible as a book about the end of the world, about the apocalypse. If you grew up in Southern Indiana, you probably know a lot of these people. There are several globally Uh, global reach, global in their reach, end times cults in Southern Indiana. And so the Bible is about the end of the world. And we look for it for every little jot and tittle, every little bit um, secret, or we turn it into a code to predict how the end of the world is going to come. And so the Bible is about preparing for the apocalypse. Some people think the Bible is a guidebook to a prosperous life. They use it to increase their health and their wealth. These are all ways that people use the Bible, and it's become very popular in the last hundred years. Some of these things have a a bit of truth in them, or there can be helpful ways that we use these different things. But again, the point is, if we don't know what the Bible is for, we will not use it well. If we don't, I mean, receive it well. And if if we don't receive it well, we will not use the Bible uh, the way it was intended to. In fact, we'll likely use the Bible to do terrible, terrible things. Uh, The The Bible has been used to justify chattel slavery in the United States. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you go back in the history of the founding of our country and in the the history of the Deep South, the Bible was one of the primary justifications used to maintain the system of chattel slavery in the United States. Did you know the Bible was used to promote the rise of national socialism in Germany? If you're like, national socialism, what's that? It's Nazis. They used the scriptures to build their platform and win over the culture. The Bible is used to reject climate science. The Bible is used to reject COVID precautions. The Bible is used to reject vaccines that are coming. And if you, if you look at the ways that the Bible has been used just in the last 200 years, the result of misuse of the scriptures has led to the death of thousands and millions of people because the Bible was not used the way it was intended 
to be used. The purpose of it was missed. If we don't know what the Bible is for, we will miss God's purpose and invitation in it. So here's a Bible reading tip. If you want to know what the Bible is for, allow the Bible to tell you what it's for. The scriptures will tell you these things. So in John 5, we have an interaction between Jesus and the religious elites of his day about the purpose of the Bible. And I think we can find some helpful guidance there. So it begins, verse 31, Jesus says to them, if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid, but someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. So Jesus is building up to a main point here, and he's going to talk about his own divinity. He starts by saying that there is personal evidence of who he is. There is testimony, personal experience that testifies to who he is. We're going to talk about this in more detail next week, how to find the presence of Christ in his people through personal stories and testimonies. Um, Other individuals can testify to the identity of Jesus, and the Bible carries other testimonies for us today. The scriptures carry for us stories, but does that mean the Bible is simply a book of sharing people's stories? Is the Bible just a storybook for us? Look where Jesus goes next. He says, I have a greater witness than John, something greater than just a personal testimony. What is that? My teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. So, He says there's personal evidence of who I am, personal testimony, but then there's also historical evidence of who I am. What is that? The historical facts of his teachings and his miracles. He did things that nobody else can do. So if there is personal and historical evidence, does that mean the Bible is just an apologetics book? Do you know what apologetics are? Um, I don't know what it means, but I I, I know apologetics is facts to prove people wrong. And so you have this belief, well, let me give you all the reasons why that's not true. People have made whole careers out of doing this. What does that look like? We, we look through all of the history taught by the scriptures, and we show ways that that is different than the history that's taught in geology books or what archaeologists believe. And I'll just be honest with you guys, uh, the Bible is undefeated against archaeology, okay? Like, if People will be like, well, the city isn't even mentioned in our history records, but it's mentioned here in the Bible. And then somebody will be out digging in a field in Egypt, and they'll find evidence of this history. So does that mean that the Bible is just a history book that we rely on its facts to prove who Jesus is? You can come to the Scriptures to find personal testimonies about who Jesus is, and you can find historical facts. But again, if that is all you are looking for, you will miss the purpose of the Bible. Jesus is subtly indicting the way people come to the Bible. Looking for facts or encouraging stories may be valid. I'm not saying that is wrong. What I'm saying is it is inadequate. If the Bible is seen as a tool to prove something or to win, we will twist the Scriptures. So listen to me real clearly now. Yes, the Bible proves a great deal. Yes, it contains facts and history. But all of these, the testimonies, 
the things it proves, the facts, the history, these can become distractions if they are not directed by the ultimate purpose of the scriptures. It will turn the Bible into a book of historical facts we use to win an argument. There is great danger in reading the scriptures to prove something, to use it to accomplish your plans. And there is a second great danger seen in Jesus's direct indictment against the Pharisees. So in verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. The word translated search here is a lot more intense than our word search. The idea is diligent study or think pouring over. You've heard that phrase before, he's pouring over the book. So it's just these people that Jesus is indicting, they study the Bible way more seriously than any of us do. I'm, I'm convinced. They took it incredibly serious. They were like archeologists trying to dig and mine through every word of the scriptures. They were serious Bible students. The problem was not a lack of Bible study for them. The problem was the goal of their Bible study. What were they after? They thought Bible knowledge would give them eternal life. They thought the secret to life was knowing more verses, knowing more information. They thought Bible knowledge would give them what they want. Do you know anybody like this today? People who always have a verse, who always have a way of using the scriptures to justify their position. Shockingly, these people are almost never wrong about what they believe. These are people who use the Bible as a weapon to correct, to condemn, to criticize. They use the Bible as a platform to build up their own reputation and image. You'll see, you'll see this kind of thing happen all the time uh, where Christians will suddenly become an expert in something they're not actually an expert about, but they'll label something as this horrific reality and they'll throw all of these Bible verses on it and suddenly this person gets to speak at conferences and gets book deals. They twist the scriptures to build their own platform and make a name for themselves. They use the Bible to convince others that they are someone great and impressive. Anytime you see somebody wielding the scripture to make other people feel small, or marginalized, or less than. J Jesus is telling them, you've got it all wrong. You've missed the purpose of the scripture. So to try to be a little more clear, the Bible has things to say about the earth, but the Bible is not a geology book. The Bible has things to say about morality, but the Bible is not a book of ethics. The Bible has history and testimony, but it's not a history book. The Bible has promises and instructions, but it's not a guide to your best life now. So thanks be to God, real clearly, Jesus tells us the purpose of the Bible. In verse 39 and 40, he says, the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. So listen, enough with the teasing. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal Jesus so that we would come to him and receive life. If you want to read the Bible well, read it to know Jesus. You read it to understand him and experience relationship with him. The Bible was given to us to reveal who Jesus is so that we would come to him, we would follow him, and we would become like him. Uh, theologian John Calvin put it this way, and this is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. 
He says, the scriptures should be read with the aim of finding Christ in them. Whoever turns aside from this object, even though he wears himself out all his life and learning, will never reach the knowledge of the truth. For how can we be wise apart from the wisdom of God? There are all kinds of helpful things and true things we can learn from the scriptures. But the further we get from reading the scriptures to know Jesus and see him, the further we get from the purpose the scriptures were given. So we read the Bible to know Jesus. When we know Jesus, we will follow him. When we follow him, we will become like him. So a couple of big picture things this means for us practically. First and foremost, and I don't know if this will sound like a miracle to you. Uh, I've got a philosophy background, so this feels quite miraculous to me if you're into abstract thinking. Um, The first reality this communicates is that God speaks to us. This is an unbelievable miracle. And I don't know if you realize this. God did not have to make it this way. God did not have to make a creation capable of knowing him or being able to hear him. The fact that God gives us his word at all is a miracle. And if it was only a book of facts in history about God, it would still be a miracle. God is not obligated to speak to us, to reveal to us, or to communicate with us. But he does so because he loves us and he desires relationship with us. But it's even greater than that, though. The Bible reveals Jesus to us. Jesus is alive today, which means the Bible speaks to us today. The scriptures is an invitation into a living relationship with God, an an active one, not just an abstract conceptual one. When we learn to read the Bible relationally, what does reading the Bible relationally mean? It means we read it not to further our platform, not to prove something, not to find an answer to some burning question, but we read it to know Jesus. We read it to experience fellowship with him. When we read the Bible that way, God will speak to us. The God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the maker of heaven and earth and the ruler of everything in it will condescend himself and he will speak to us. The author of Hebrews puts it this way for us. The word of God, listen to this, is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So listen, if you read the Bible as a rule book to find all the things you have to do to please an angry God, I guarantee you, it will crush you. It will crush you. If you read the Bible as a rule book to condemn and correct others, you will crush them. But if you read Jesus, to come to him, to be like him, you will experience the wonder of God speaking to you. You will experience him as a father who will expose your innermost thoughts and desires in order to heal them, in order to restore you. Is is there anything more wondrous? Is there anything more beautiful than the God of the universe speaking to us? God speaks to us, and God leads us. When he speaks to us, he teaches us how to listen to him. 
Later in the life of Jesus, this famous story on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking and he leads a Bible study. So don't hear anything I'm saying as being against Bible study. We're pro-Bible study. In this Bible study, Jesus teaches these two men how the whole Old Testament is about him. Do not let the idea of reading the Bible overwhelm you. Some of you haven't read the Bible hardly at all, and you like the idea of God speaking to you, but then you see this big book, and you see Old Testaments, and there's genealogies, and New Testaments, and there's songs, and there's poetry, and you're like, I don't even, I don't even know what to do with this Bible. And I'll just brace you now, there's weird stuff in the Old Testament, okay? There's dragons, and there's giants, and there's ghosts, and there's geography, and there's places, all this kind of stuff. If you're, in, if you're like me, and you're a bit of a weirdo, that's part of the reason you love it. But if you've never read it before, it can be totally overwhelming. don't let any of those uh, obstacles overwhelm you because you can take a posture of confidence knowing that God will lead you. This is what he does on the road to Emmaus. He shows these guys what's going on in the scriptures. If God will speak to us, he will show us how to read the Bible. Um, A couple of helpful tips if you want to go down this road based on Jesus's interaction here and other places like the road to Emmaus, some questions that should constantly be going in our mind when we come to read the scriptures. So first, I think these are on the screen. How does this point to Jesus? So when you're reading something, you need to be considering, how does this point me to who Jesus is or what Jesus will do? And that might give you a whole lot of clarity on what's going on in the story. How does this reveal who Jesus is? Or another way to put that, how does this affect my view of Jesus? Um, How does this fulfill who Jesus, or how does Jesus fulfill the promise of this passage? Uh, In in other words, imagine, y'all ever uh, have uh, sun blue blockers? You remember those sunglasses that were really cool in like the late 80s, uh, which means they're probably cool again now. Some blue blockers were these gas station sunglasses that you put on. Anyone guess what color they made the world? You would think, but they made it orange, right? I don't know. They, maybe they filtered out the blue UV lights. It didn't matter the time of day or the weather. You put some blue blockers on and the world went orange. Uh, they filtered all the light in. When you come to the scriptures, you got to put uh, this. I'm making this up. This is going to be ridiculous. It's like you got to put your Jesus blue blockers on. And so what that means is you filter everything that comes through the scriptures through the filter of Jesus. How does this help me understand who Jesus is? How does this point to who Jesus is? How does, this, um, how does Jesus fulfill the promise of this passage? Jesus must be the primary filter we use when we come to the scriptures. If something in the scriptures is unclear to you, before you go to your favorite pastor, before you go to your favorite podcast, before you go anywhere else, ask Jesus to show you. Return to those other questions and say, how does this point me to Jesus? How does this reveal Jesus to you? If something is unclear to you, see if Jesus explains it somewhere in his ministry. See if Jesus speaks about it or offers a teaching about it. The Bible is about Jesus. He is the main character. He is the hero. He is the everything. Christians who receive the Bible this way are wary of any platform other than Christ's. Anybody, here's just a warning. Let those with ears to hear, hear. People who have first name, last name, dot com ministries. If I ever start jonasageministries.com, you guys just go burn my house down and fire me. Is that not just a little bit strange? Do you know there are preachers who put their names on a Bible? If you ever see the Jonas Age Bible, run. Don't ever buy a copy of it. 
We are people who receive the Bible well and are looking to Jesus as their Lord, as the author and perfecter of their salvation, are wary of any platform other than Christ's. Anybody who uses the scriptures to build themselves up at the expense of Jesus or his teaching or his kingdom. We are wary of people who offer solutions that are not Christ's. We are wary of people who offer insights that are not Christ's. Teachings that lift up the teacher and minimize Jesus. So we read the Bible to know Jesus. We interpret the Bible through the lens of Jesus. And we rely on Jesus to lead us. He will not abandon you on the road of faith. He will not abandon you. He will speak to you and he will lead you. He speaks, he leads, and he heals. If God speaks to us and leads us, here are two promises that the scriptures give to us. First, if God speaks to you and leads you, it is a promise of pain. We know this is true because we are not as we should be. Our innermost thoughts and desires, you remember that from Hebrews? The word separates spirit and soul, bone and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Our innermost thoughts and desires rarely conform to God's design. Hebrews goes on to show us the promise of this kind of pain. It says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember, God is treating you as his own children. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. If you come to the Bible to see Jesus and follow him, your loving father will show you the places in you that are twisted broken and in need of healing. And I promise you that exposure will be painful. The pain, it's helpful to expect that when we come to the Bible. And I would just say, if the Bible hasn't been painful to you in some time or hasn't exposed something to you or made you question something about how you live or see the world in a long time, there's a good chance you're reading it wrong or, or you're reading it for some reason other than to follow Jesus and experience him we can assure ourselves that the pain is part of the plan. And this, is, this gets us to the second part of the promise. There's a promise of pain, yes, but through that pain, God is healing us. Here's how Hebrews 12 continues there. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. How nice does that sound? Let's get one Amen a peaceful harvest of right living. What does that look like? It means being in rhythm with the universe. It means being human, a sense of confidence and calm that I am following the Lord on his way. It doesn't mean pain-free. It doesn't mean an abundance of wealth or resources. It means the confidence, the peace of heart and mind and soul. My conscience is clear. I am following Christ. I am becoming human and all will be well. A peaceful harvest of right living. Because we're twisted and we're crooked and Jesus will straighten us out. Yes, it will be painful, but it will bring about a peaceful harvest of right living. So I plead with you, stop reading the Bible as ammo to win an argument. Stop reading the Bible looking for evidence only for your side. Stop reading the Bible as a roadmap 
to success or wealth or achieving your goals. Read the Bible to see Jesus, to come to Jesus and to become like him. There you will find pain, yes, but it is the pain of change, it is the pain of transformation. So even in the pain, we find hope. In the change, we find hope as we have to lay down ways of being, old beliefs, old affiliations. We find hope because the scriptures teach us that every crucifixion in Christ leads to a resurrection. The purpose, is, the purpose of the Bible is to reveal Jesus to us so that we would come to him, follow him, and be like him. Have I said that enough times this morning? The purpose of the Bible is to reveal Jesus so that we would come to him, follow him, and become like him. And the scriptures tell us to ground ourselves there in his presence by remembering the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is an invitation into an experiential, mysterious reality. And so we remember the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. When the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. And in the same way, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. And so I invite you now to open up your cup. Y'all, we're going to be back to ripping and dipping soon. Can't you feel it? Back in the spring, we're going to have our lines back. Sorry, I'm just a little wound up about it right now. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.